Thank you. Please be seated. Reading from Matthew chapter 13 from verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied, and the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. And so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the Gospel of Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so, Father, we pray comfort Eleanor and the wider family at this time with the wonderful news that you are eternal life and that death is not the end. And so, dear Father, as we come to your scriptures now, we pray, speak to each one of us. We long that we would meet with the king in these words and that we would hear them and listen to them and obey them. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Friends, think of a time when you are excited about God's work. You're excited to see Jesus' kingdom growing. 
maybe you were involved in a kids' ministry or, or a holiday club or, or Christianity Explored, and you saw Jesus changing people's lives. For some, it might be when you yourself became a Christian, and everything seemed new. Everything seemed exciting. You were aware of the way that God was changing you. You were aware that Jesus is a mighty king, working out his purpose in your life, in the world. But I wonder what happens when opposition comes, when there's indifference, perhaps as people scoff or sneer, as people actively oppose the church, as maybe keen, zealous Christians seem to just lose some of their passion. In the face of opposition or indifference, the kingdom can begin to seem rather puny. Maybe we begin to ask, is Jesus really a powerful king? And if he is, why is the world in such a mess? Why is the growth of the church so slow? And as we begin to think those things, maybe our own zeal, our own joy begins to wane, begin to keep our head down. Well, the disciples have seen great things, haven't we? We've looked Uh, this year a lot in Matthew and we've seen great things we've seen uh, the kingdom growing the disciples have seen Jesus miracles they've seen people believe but they've also seen much opposition haven't they people playing with Jesus people interested and they're not people actively opposing Jesus well this parable these parables about the kingdom of heaven speak into that situation they give the disciples they give us encouragement in the face of indifference and opposition to Jesus If you are here last week, you'll remember that uh, we've moved into a section of parables. And last week, Jay showed us how often Matthew carefully crafts these parables into a a kind of sandwich. So on the outside, we we have the bread, uh, which is the parable, and and then the explanation. And in between it, we, we have a filling, a piece of bacon. Well, this week, we have a similar sandwich to last week. This week, we're going one better. Jay gave you a bacon sandwich last week. I'm going to give you a, a bacon and egg sandwich. But uh, on the outside, we've got uh, the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Uh, that's verses 24 to 30. And then we've got the explanation, 36 to 43. And in the middle, we don't just have bacon. But we do have bacon. That's the two parables about growth, the mustard seed and the yeast. And Jesus says through them, the kingdom will grow. But we also have a lovely fried egg. And that's verses 34 to 35. And it's an explanation of why Jesus is teaching in parables. I don't want to spend much time on that, but I want us to see this. And this is the first thing we'll see. Jesus teaches in parables because he's God's king. He teaches in parables because he's God's king. Look at verse 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. If you were here last week, you remember we looked at the purpose of parables. And Jay made the point that so often we think of parables as kind of simple stories with, with a spiritual truth, using everyday images to convey a spiritual truth. But Jesus says it's much more than that. Every time a parable is taught, there's a kind of filtering effect. And the person who is the disciple, they press in and listen. They ask for more. They really listen to the true meaning. But others say, that's a nice story, and move on. And they filter themselves out. Well, here, Jesus goes one step further. I speak in parables, he says, or Matthew comments, because I'm the king. This fulfills, Matthew says, what the Old Testament said would happen when the king came. When the authorized spokesman of God comes, he will speak in parables. 
Now, that's a bit odd to us. But think of the way all through Matthew, he's been underlining this happened, this happened to fulfill what the Old Testament says about God's king. So when we hear the Christmas story, we don't just hear the miraculous events of the virgin birth. Matthew underlines it and says that's exactly what you'd expect to happen from the Old Testament. As we read of Jesus dying for our sins on the cross, we don't just have that account. We're told this is exactly what you'd expect from the Old Testament. Now, we know this quote from Psalm 78 less well, but to those first hearing it, they recognize it instantly. This is what the prophet Asaph prophesied in Psalm 78. And Asaph is saying, when God's king comes, when his authorized spokesman comes, he will speak and make known truths hidden from the beginning of time. And one of the ways he'll do it is to speak in parables. Now, we don't have more time to unpack this, but do you see the point? These parables seem odd to us. They're a mark of Jesus' royal authority. This is the king speaking to us this morning. And so we need to listen to him. We see the disciples doing that, don't we? They model the response. Verse 36, as the crowd clear off, they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, explain this more in more detail to us. Our passage ends, verse 43. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But there's a warning here. This is the king speaking. The promise is if we listen, we hear the voice of the king. But the warning is if we don't listen, we just said this is a nice story about plants, then we'll filter ourselves out of the kingdom and we'll miss the voice of the king. Well, may God give each one of us grace this morning to hear what the king says. Well, what does he say? What does the king say? All of these parables have in common that they're about the growth of the kingdom of heaven. That is to say, the place where Jesus' rule is acknowledged, where we see God's power breaking in as he restores the creation to the way it was meant to be, as we see people finding forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And the two parables in the middle remind us that from small beginnings, the kingdom of God will grow. So first, see this parable of the mustard seed. Look at verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. Now, the mustard seed is tiny, less than a millimeter across, and it grows into a huge tree. Now, if you're somebody who likes precision, which I'm pointing at myself here, if you're a pedant, you kind of get worried about these words because the mustard seed isn't literally the smallest seed in the world. And in fact, it actually doesn't grow into a tree. And people get hung up about this. Well, hang on, does Jesus not know this? Has Jesus made a mistake? Is the Bible wrong? Well, no, he's giving us a spiritual lesson, not an agricultural one. Now, in Jesus' day, the mustard seed was known for being tiny, not the smallest, but a proverbially proverbially tiny seed. And what's more, although it doesn't literally grow into a tree, it can grow five meters tall. It's an extraordinary thing. And Jesus' point is this. From this tiny, almost you can barely see it beginning, will grow this plant that is so big that even the birds of the air can sit in its branches. Now, in the Bible, the birds of the air coming to perch in a tree is a picture of a kingdom covering many nations, the birds of the nations, and they come and rest in the tree. Well, just think back to the beginning of the church. 
Jesus is in a backwater of the Roman Empire. There's him and a motley crew of disciples. And yet over the decades, the centuries, from this tiny beginning, the kingdom has spread throughout the world. It's remarkable. And it's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. From a tiny beginning, a chance hearing of the word of God, or hearing the word of God in a Sunday school, Jesus has grown his kingdom in you so that you're part of this kingdom. But the reality is, though we can look back and marvel, we're partway through the story. We might look around and think, wow, not much is going on. We might think, wow, things have become hard. But this tells us the kingdom will keep growing until it's this giant tree in which all the nations find their rest. That's the point of the next parable, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven, verse 33, is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's the remarkable thing about yeast, isn't it? Just a tiny little bit, a few grains, will permeate an entire batch of flour. And Jesus is saying God's kingdom will spread everywhere. It will be unseen sometimes. It will be uh, unspectacular. And yet it will get everywhere. I don't know about you. As I look out and see the church in the West, see the decline, it's tempted to get, it's tempted to get depressing, isn't it? To lose heart. Maybe you're someone who used to speak boldly of Jesus to those in your office, in your street, in your family. And you begin to think, what's the point? The tide has turned. We've lost the battle. This says don't lose heart. The yeast is working and it will spread all the way through the batch. The kingdom is unstoppable. I take it that means we should expect God to produce growth at St. Stephen's. We should pray for growth. We should plan for growth. We should give thanks for the growth we've seen. Think back a few weeks to that uh, baptism and confirmation service. God is giving us growth here. But at the same time, it can be gradual and steady. Of course, at times it's more remarkable than others. I planted some lettuce uh, before the winter. A special, I don't know much about plants, as you know, but special winter lettuce. And it grew very, very slowly and pathetically until about two weeks ago, and then it, it rained, and the sun came out, and there's lettuce everywhere, more than I can eat. And sometimes it's remarkable growth. Sometimes it's slow and steady, but all the time, God is growing his kingdom. The tree is growing. The yeast is spreading. So whether we see it or not, let's not give heart. Let's not lose heart. God is building his kingdom. But friends, here's the bread of the sandwich. Here's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Because alongside God's unstoppable growth, there will be disappointments. There will be opposition. Because there's an enemy at work. Look at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good, weed in your, good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And then we have the explanation, verse 37. Uh, the one sowing the good seed is the son of man, is Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, believers. The weeds, the sons of the evil one, sown by the devil, unbelievers. And you see the point? As Jesus grows his kingdom, there is an enemy actively opposing him. 
Now, the weed that's sown is probably a plant called darnel. And the thing about darnel is it begins, when it begins to grow, it looks like wheat. Initially, you can't tell wheat and darnel apart. But when it's fully grown, darnel is poisonous. And you see what Jesus is saying? The kingdom will grow. And it will, Jesus will bring about growth in the world. But as this growth comes, there'll be other growth that initially looks so promising, so healthy. But it turns out to be poisonous. And notice, friends, this is not about the church. It's about the world. And the point is, the world will always have those who oppose Jesus, who oppose the growth of the kingdom and the church. And we're told, verse 41, they will cause sin. They will do evil. They will oppose God's people. They will try and cause us to sin. Brothers and sisters, I wonder, are there times when you feel smothered by the weeds of opposition? You feel maybe your Christian life is going so well and then somebody comes along and they knock you off course and they tempt you to stumble, tempt you to be envious and you fall. Or maybe they're mockery, they're harsh words about Jesus, just kind of press you down and cause you to keep your head down. You lose some of your joy in the kingdom. Maybe it's some great ministry that was going on in the community going on in a school and and somebody says they keep talking about Jesus we don't want that and the ministry closes down and we think God why did you allow that to happen we think Jesus are you really the king on the throne and Jesus would say to us don't be surprised these things will happen until the harvest at the end there will always be opposition and if you think about it in some ways opposition is a backhanded compliment from the devil Because I take it if the field was unproductive, why would he bother sneaking in? It may be that you feel smothered and pressed down and and the opposition is hard and you're tempted to think, I must be doing something wrong. And it may just be the case that you're doing everything right. You're being thoroughly faithful. And that is why the opposition comes. We're given a small hint here of why this situation is allowed to continue. Verse 29, the servants say, should we pull up the weeds? And the master answers, no, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. And this situation is allowed to continue for some mysterious reason for the sake of the wheat. Let the weeds grow for the sake of the wheat. Now, we don't know why, and in many ways we can't know, but uh, other parts of the scriptures, anecdotally, people would say that when opposition is thickest, hardest, that's when they've been forced to rely on Jesus most and and they see great growth in their faith. Could be for that reason. We know that part of the reason Jesus hasn't returned is he's waiting to harvest in more wheat. It may well be that you're suffering and pressed down at the moment so that you can reach somebody in your street. Jesus longs for all to be gathered in. His patience is that more might come in. We don't know why, but it's for the sake of the wheat. But the harvest will come. And the weeds will be rooted out. And there will be a time when we will live without opposition, without sin, freely able to serve God. Don't pull up the weeds. Rather, verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And Jesus explains, verse 39, the harvest is the end of the age. And just as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. 
The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The harvest will come. Judgment will come. Those weeds, those enemies of God will be destroyed. Now friends, this is a truth that should sober us. These are terrifying images. They're picture language that point to a terrible reality of God's judgment, a just and right and holy judgment, but a terrible judgment nonetheless. This judgment awaits those who cause sin, who do evil. And notice how they're described. They are sons. They are daughters of the evil one. From Jesus' point of view, there's one crucial question in life. And the crucial question in life is this. Who is your father? Who is your father? Are you a child of God or a child of the devil? Now, being a child of the devil or the evil one doesn't mean that somebody's a Satanist, that they they worship Satan. But it does mean they don't worship God. And the Bible is clear. All of us worship. The question is, what do we worship? And we're made, all of us, to worship God. And as we do that, as we submit to Jesus, we find great joy in him. We find freedom. But the devil's work is to persuade us to worship other things, good things, things that God has given to us for our enjoyment, but not ultimate things, things we should enjoy and give thanks to God for, but rather we make them the be-all and end-all. So many ways to do this, isn't there? Some find their ultimate delight in family. Others, it's their belongings, their stuff. For some, career comes first. Others find themselves in their relationships. And the devil seeks to persuade us to to make those things number one. And as we do so, we take our worship away from God and make God our enemy. And unwittingly, the Bible would say, we become children of the evil one. And friends, notice it's Jesus who says this. God's enemies will be rooted out of his kingdom. It's a tremendous truth. Can I just say there's a fittingness in this? The farmer burns the weeds. He doesn't take the weeds to a farmer's market and try and flog them. And he doesn't take them to a farmer's market because they don't belong there. You can't sell weeds at a farmer's market. They do not belong there. And in the same way, why would an enemy of God want to spend eternity in God's kingdom? They do not belong there. Why would someone who spent their entire life seeking to avoid the rule of God's king want to spend eternity under Jesus' dominion? This judgment is terrible, but it's fitting. Those who run from God, who make him their enemy, God will respect that. It's a terrible judgment, but it's fitting. And it's also necessary. If these enemies remain in the kingdom, they would destroy the peace of the kingdom. And Jesus says these harsh words, seemingly harsh words, not to be harsh, but with love in his eyes, to warn people. The whole reason Jesus came to earth is to invite people into his kingdom. Jesus suffered the agony that these images portray on the cross, the punishment that each one of us deserves, that nobody need bear it. Well, these images are terrible, aren't they? I don't think we're meant to take them literally, but they do speak of a a spiritual reality. The fiery furnace, I think, speaking of the image of God erased permanently in people. 
the weeping and gnashing of teeth, speaking of the deep frustration and disappointment of those who will miss out on the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if you've ever had one of those experiences where you've done something and, and things have gone badly and you replay the key moments in your mind. Maybe you're driving the car and you crash and you replay that moment. Why did I not hit the brakes sooner? Why did I not look up and see the person? Or there's some terrible conflict and, and we replay and think, why did I say that? Why did I not say that more kindly or, or use different words? And, and it torments us as we replay it. And that, I think, is a picture of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Frustration. And imagine that feeling replaying through eternity as people think, if only I'd accepted the king. If only I'd heard that invitation and accepted it. And yet I can't now, it's too late. And friends, this awful, awful picture is made all the more dreadful by the contrast, isn't it? Verse 34, then the righteous, not those who are good, but those who are made righteous by Christ who've come to him and said, actually, I've lived a life as an enemy. Make me one of your people. Those righteous in Christ, the believers, they will be free. We will be free to shine like the sun forever. Isn't that the very thing we long to do? To serve God, to love God, to love one another in freedom, without opposition from outside, without our sinful desires pulling us down, without the world pressing in and, and causing us to stumble, that day will be marvelous. be a marvelous day. We will be with our Father, and it will be clear that we are his children, and we will delight in him, and he will delight in us. It will be marvelous. Well, friends, as we finish, what do we do with this? What do we do with the king's word to us this morning? Three very brief applications. First, don't be discouraged. God is building his kingdom. It will continue to grow. Like the yeast, it will permeate the entire earth. But opposition, opposition will come. So do not be surprised. Do not be discouraged. The church will be attacked. Life will press in on us. People who seem keen Christians will turn out not to be wheat but weeds. When it happens, don't be discouraged. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Secondly, if you're a weed, if you're a weed, become wheat. If you're a son of the evil one, if you're a child of the evil one, join God's family. Become a child of God. Now, there's a sense in this parable, the seed is one thing or the other, isn't it? And there'd be no point in, in getting a packet of tomato seeds and saying to them, become a pumpkin. It'd be ridiculous. But we mustn't push this parable too far. We're not seeds, are we? Our life is not determined. And if Jesus, if Jesus is convicting you this morning that you are on the side of the devil, that you are not following him, with that conviction comes the invitation, enter my kingdom. Come to me and I will give you new birth and a welcome into the, the kingdom of my father. If you're a weed, become wheat. If you're a child of the evil one, become a child of God this morning. That's Jesus' invitation to you. And if you don't know how to do that, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to help you understand that. The third thing is this. Remember there will be a harvest and wait patiently for it. Life will be hard, but the harvest will come. And then we will shine like stars. If you're a Christian, if you've been made righteous in Christ, one day you will enter your Father's kingdom and you will shine with unspeakable glory for all eternity. So do not lose heart. 
Fix your eyes on that day and keep going. May God give each one of us ears to hear the voice of the King this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are kind and speak to us in your word through your Son, by your Spirit. And we pray, dear Father, would you give each one of us ears to hear this word this morning. May you keep us going. May each one of us look forward to that time of harvest and be sure and certain that in Christ we will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and shine for eternity like the sun. Please be with us for Jesus' sake. Amen.